I am Jorge Facinetti, and this is another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Orphan drugs are medications that are developed primarily for rare diseases. In 1983, the Food and Drug Administration gave drug companies incentives to develop treatments for these rare diseases. In today's podcast, we're going to learn about the largest event in the world of orphan drugs, called the World Orphan Drug Congress USA. It takes place every year and attracts the entire rare disease ecosystem, breaking down silos and fostering collaboration to help rare disease patients. Since its inception in 2010, the conference has focused on bringing exemplary content, insights, and networking opportunities to its audience of rare disease, drug developers, patients, advocates, regulators, service providers, and payers. With over three days of content, workshops, and events, attendees have the opportunity to engage across 13 themes of content and meet with all types of rare disease stakeholders from around the world. In non-COVID times, they normally have around 1,000 attendees with over 60 countries represented. After a year of virtual meetings, the World Orphan Drug Congress is taking place in person this August 25th through 27th, just outside Washington, D.C., at the Gaylord National Harbor. To learn more about this important event, I caught up with Claire Murphy, director for the Congress. Claire is a sociologist by training with a focus in public health and has worked in the green energy space and corporate marketing, corporate social responsibility, and is now overseeing the largest rare disease and orphan drug event in the world. She has been at Terrapin, the event parent organization that runs the Orphan Drug Congress, for almost four years. In addition to overseeing the teams that work on the event, She specifically develops the agenda content and works with speakers for the event. Her role entails year-long research into the orphan and rare disease space, developing high-level speaker relationships with her work culminating in this large conference each year. Here's our chat. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us about this critical Congress for rare diseases and orphan drugs. So tell me, uh, why an orphan drug Congress? Sure. And first, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you and hello to your audience. Um, certainly. So the conference was started back in 2010. Um, and, you know, with the Orphan Drug Act, you know, I wasn't around with the conference Uh, back then, so I can't speak to it exactly why it was started, but certainly there's so much innovation in the orphan space. Um, And, you know, I think as as organizers really, really saw that and that, uh, you know, a big conference in DC would really serve the community well. Um, So that's, that was our founding mission. Yeah. So I'm assuming that its mission has evolved a little bit. Uh, how, how, how has it grown over the years when it started and what it is now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first, we also have a sister conference that takes place in Europe um, in November every mm-hmm. year in Barcelona. And yes. so um, that's, that's pretty focused on uh, European orphan issues. 
um, and that's evolved over the years. And for the U.S., um, we initially started with just U.S. focus, you know, drug developers, patient advocates, regulators. Over the years, it's really grown into a global conference. So we have around 50, 60 countries represented every year across the different profiles of folks that we bring. So with, with that, uh, the content has certainly evolved tremendously um, and we've grown into thir 13 different topic areas, things like market access, drug discovery, patient diagnosis, um, and then certainly touching on the vast uh, cell and gene therapy developments that have taken place in the, the rare disease and orphan space. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. all things that are extremely important for a rare disease patient. I know that we've been working um, and researching and trying to provide advocacy and ideas for market access for simplification and transparency and cost issues. That That is such a critical issue for, for our patients. So what are the challenges of managing? I'm assuming this is a pretty big event. Uh, how many people you get typically? And, and I saw that your agenda and the tracks, and there seems to be a lot, a lot of speakers uh, and uh, a lot of great information. So uh, what, tell me a little bit about the challenges of your job. Oh, well, there's definitely a few. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and just for context too, so I oversee, um, I, I'm the director for the conference. Um, specifically, my work stream is working on the agenda um, and working with our speakers. Um, but I oversee the, the marketing, um, our sponsorships, our operations. But luckily, I have a fantastic, fantastic team. Um, you know, folks that deal with the hotel, food and beverage, um, you know, all the logistics that go into a large scale conference. Um, so I'm certainly privy to all of those challenges. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the main thing from a high level is getting the right mix of stakeholders. I think that really goes back to our mission of providing, um, you know, really productive conference for the orphan space. So mm -hmm. we always have our eye on who else do we need to be bringing um, and really operationalizing that so that everyone can be meeting the right people um, to further innovation and access to rare disease therapies on site. And I know, you know, certainly COVID threw us for a loop uh, this past year, oh running, my God. Everything, running everything virtually. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks in um, patient advocacy space, and I'm sure some of your listeners can speak to this too, you know, you've been running um, organizational, um, you know, uh, Redis's advocacy organization of annual events was probably such a different uh, experience this year as well. And we certainly felt that for this large scale event, switching it to virtual. Um, but I, I think that the main thing is, you know, making sure that we have the right content every year. Um, as I oversee the program, you know, I, I spend a couple months really just being on the phone with everybody, um, understanding what needs to be addressed from every different angle, um, and then making sure that we, we really incorporate that into our program. That, that's great. It sounds uh, like a humongous task because you do one a year. And then are you involved in the European one too? or No. So uh -huh. our counterparts in our London office run the European mm -hmm. one. It is a, it is a year long, um, you know, process of sure. putting on this really large conference. Yeah. I'm curious to know um, how similar are the orphan drug um issues in Europe and in the US, are there significant differences or are they pretty much similar the way 
you know, they, 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 because, you know, the Orphan Drug Act as in the, is, is acts in the United States. Mm-hmm. How, how is it in Europe? Can you speak to yeah, that a little bit? Or? That's, a, that's a great question. And, and from what I understand, and, you know, really, it's just the knowledge that people share with me is what I'm regurgitating here. Yeah, um, no, no, of course. Certainly, um, there are, you know, specific challenges, definitely around access. It's just such a different beast um, yeah. with single payer systems. HTA systems are very different there. Um, and, um, you know, I think the challenges of patient diagnosis are, are certainly, I think, you know, universal. Um, and so there are definitely some similarities where, um, you know, there's a lot of cross uh, collaboration information that can be shared where, you know, folks in the US can learn from what's being done in Europe and vice versa. I'm interested if you can tell us a little about your perspective on the uh, the regulatory environment in Europe and in the US and maybe the differences and how does the Congress adapt to that in terms of the initiatives that are, or the, you know, the networking and the initiatives that are uh, uh, pushed forward? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I can speak to, you know, how we tackle that within our conference, certainly. So, um, you know, each year we have people that um, are either from regulatory bodies, both from the U.S., obviously we have a lot of folks from FDA, um, and then from Europe, the EMA, European Medicines Agency. Yes. Um, there's, there's, you know, a, always a need for further education when it comes to uh, regulatory processes, both with, um, you know, uh, drug developers and patient advocates. You know, it's really important for patient advocates to get good education on what the process is like. Yes, critical. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because there can be so much confusion, Um, you know, after working on this conference and, um, you know, talking to FTA folks every year and folks over in Europe, you know, there's always something new that I learn. Um, So always educating, you know, yourselves if you're a patient advocate Mm -hmm. on on what's going on. And and if you're working with, you know, drug developers, um, knowing how you can be involved, I think there's a lot of efforts around, you know, patient-focused drug developments, really interesting things around listening sessions at the FDA specifically um, that, you know, patient advocates can really get their voice heard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so at the conference, you know, we, we address that on our clinical development and regulatory track and have perspectives both from regulators, drug developers, and, and patient advocates. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about now the... Um needs that the Congress fulfills in terms of maybe opportunities for public policy initiatives or diagnoses and other tracks. I know you have a lot of different tracks. Um, You know, the idea of uh, disease advocacy, like you were just mentioning, and pricing and reimbursement uh, uh, policies. So, you know, there's a lot going on pricing and to reimbursement. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we could just have a full week of podcasts <laughs> dedicated to that. And probably several Congress congresses <laughs> yeah. to just tackle yeah. that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, we tackle from both the U.S. perspective and, and European and kind of globally. I'm, and having patient advocates in that conversation is important as well. Certainly, um, you know, we have drug developers talking about, you know, how they go about the pricing and, and you know, what their strategies are around patient access. I think that's always really important to hear how companies are, you know, tackling those differently. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, really when we think about designing these different topic areas within our conference program, you know, case in point, the uh, pricing and reimbursement track, um, it's all about making sure that the most important information is really readily available for everybody that, you know, uh, is, is sitting in the audience and that it's being tackled from a lot of different perspectives, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so uh, I think, you know, there's um, a lot of outcomes that we try to make sure, uh, you know, are in place, are our goals for the conference. Um, so definitely, you know, content, but I'd also love to touch on networking. Um, yes. Partnerships, you know, are, are so important in the rare disease space. That's really how things get done. We really try to facilitate that at our conference. So uh, we do have a dedicated networking area. Um, if anyone's been to a large scale conference, maybe they have experienced or even our conference have experienced, you know, a networking platform um, where you can see the attendees ahead of time, plan for your on-site schedule, um, book as many meetings with folks as possible, reach out over the platform um, and make, uh, you know, new connections and grow your network. Um, yeah. Each year we have around 2000, sometimes more one-to-one -one scheduled meetings through our networking platform. Um, so that's really exciting to see every year. Yes. Um, obviously, I don't know the outcomes of every single meeting, <laughs> um, but there's definitely been partnerships that have formed patient advocates getting in touch with developers that have then led to therapies being developed in their disease area. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's that's really important for us, you know, as organizers to keep in mind in addition to the content. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the networking opportunities, you know, the, the idea of getting a lot of smart people together that are, have the same sort of uh, goals where collaboration is critical and creativity, and you yeah. get these opportunities to really sit down and talk. And I'm assuming after, you know, this year and a half of COVID that we lived in Zoom, <laughs> yeah. in Zoom world, you know, this is, this is going to be fantastic. So um, excited to be back in yeah. person. I know yeah. I am. I'm really interested in getting your perspective of the rare disease world, uh, being that you are a person that does not have a rare disease, Correct. but you work in the rare disease world. Uh, we, so is there any insight that you can give us from your perspective on how do you see, um, you know, rare diseases in general, the opportunities for new uh, drugs and development and the work that still needs to be done. Yes. Uh, so uh, the, working in the rare disease space, first off, is just such a joy. Um, there's so much passion in the yes. rare disease space. You know, um, I, it strikes me every, every time I'm on site at a conference, either mine or, or another rare disease conference, um, you know, how dedicated everyone is and it's infectious. It's, it's just, it's so contagious. You are so right. You are so right. Yeah. You know, and, and people are working their hardest to make sure that, you know, uh, these, these folks that really don't have as many opportunities as some other disease areas um, do actually are able to get treatments and, and therapies. Um, so it's, it's incredibly inspiring, you know, just on a personal note mm -hmm. uh, to work in the rare disease space. And it's, a, it's an honor to know a lot of the folks that I do. Um, they're just fantastic people um, doing fantastic work. And it's really exciting too, being in the rare disease space where there's so much innovation, mm -hmm. I mean, scientifically speaking, and also, um, you know, from, uh, you know, access models, pricing reimbursement models, 
um, value-based reimbursement. You know, there's a lot of really exciting um, things happening where other areas of medicine are looking to the orphan drug space for, you know, examples of how things can be done differently because it's such an interesting paradigm of just so few folks um, having these diseases and really the urgency around these diseases. There's been so much innovation over the years and it's, it's uh, I think only going to continue. Um, you know, there's this onslaught of gene therapies, cell and gene therapies that are coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Uh, AI. And, yes. And AI. I mean, there's <laughs> so many interesting things that are going to be happening over the next few years yeah. and also an increase of urgency to make sure that access um, is in place. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a very exciting time to be if you're in the in the drug development era with all the new knowledge. Yeah. These gatherings are very interesting because they spur a tremendous amount of discussion between attendees. So I asked Claire to tell me about the people who attend the conference, and specifically the opportunities for patient advocates. Every year we have. Um, a great mix of folks. Uh, you know, in in prior years we've had around a uh, thousand attendees. Um, this year it's looking like nine hundred, a thousand as well. Um, and every year we see that it's around sixty percent industry, so pharma mm-hmm. and biotechs working in the rare disease space. Yes. And then we have a mix of regulators, both U.S. and then you know from different countries around the world, payers. Um, government bodies, um, solution providers, um, and then we have, you know, a a whole host of patient advocates that attend. Um, We do have around 200 individual advocacy organizations that are in attendance each year, Um, and we normally charge a fee for attendance, um, but for patient advocates, you know, we have actually a dedicated person on our team that uh, reaches out to patient advocates, lets them know that they're able to attend, attend the conference for free. Um, so, you know, if there's anyone that's listening that would like to attend this year, future years, um, you know, definitely reach out to a team member. Let us know that you're a patient advocate looking to attend and we can get you set up. That's fantastic. And we will definitely put the word out uh, because I think it's so important for for the advocacy world to, the patient advocacy world to, to, uh, to be involved. Claire, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy, so I don't want to take any more of your time. So it's been very, very interesting chatting with you. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you in August in D.C. I'm going to be no, there. No, in person. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, hope to connect with uh, your listeners. And if anyone has any questions about the conference, feel free to just, you know, find me on LinkedIn, shoot me a note, say hello. We'll um, do. And we'll put a link to the, the with the, uh, the article on this podcast so people can, can read more about it because I think it's very, very interesting work that you do. So thank you. Thank you so much again. Thank you. This has been another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Thank you for listening.